welcome to Ag on Tap. I'm Sabrina Halverson. I'm Rusty Halverson. This is about our fifth take of the intro to this because we've been laughing so hard, and that is because we have enjoyed an afternoon of sampling apple cider. And surprisingly good. It was really good. Very good. I had no idea that apple trees would grow where we were sampling this, which would be in North Dakota. Now, me being a California person, I have seen some apple trees, but in Northern California, where I'm from in Central California, sure, maybe in somebody's yard, but not, you know, we don't have orchards of apples there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we had a chance to visit with a uh, local couple from Air North Dakota, Stacy and Dan Hisling, and uh, they raise apples on her family's farm that's been in the family for a hundred years. Yeah, we had a great time out there. We got to visit their tasting room and learn all about their farm, the history, and what they do now, which is making apple cider. It's carrying on the family tradition, but in a family kind of way. Really neat story. It is. Let's take a listen. Stacy Nelson Heising. I'm Dan Heising. Well, I wanted to start out with the history of the farm because I read on your website that it's got quite the family history. So Stacy, can you tell us a little bit about how this started in your family? Sure. Uh, okay. My great-grandparents, Nels and Nellie Nelson, uh, were the first European uh, settlers to um, break the ground here. We call this, this the homestead. And uh, I don't know the dates, but um, they, they came over from Norway and they uh, were originally cow farmers. Okay and uh, also grains. You know, back then everybody kind of just did a little bit of everything. Uh, and so they, they had children out here. They built this, the, the white house that's in the background here in 1905. Uh, and they raised their family there. And then my grandfather, uh, Norman Nelson, uh, he then took the farm over from his family, his father, and uh, he raised his family in the big house. And uh, my dad, Chuck Nelson, uh, was the third Nelson to farm the land here. Uh, he came on in the mid-70s, and, uh, and he worked with my, my grandfather for many years. And then in the mid-80s, he became the first certified organic farmer in Cass County. Oh. That was kind of a, a big deal. Great. Yep. And uh, worked for many years, he and his, and his brother, Larry. And uh, in 2006, they decided they needed to retire. And so all of the machinery was sold. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the land's been rented out. Mm -hmm. And because of my dad's desire to keep the chemical away from the yard, mm -hmm. uh, all of over in that area where you see the apples planted, uh, the home quarter. Yep, the home quarter, he planted alfalfa. So it's about 65 acres of alfalfa. And that was planted in 2006, and we're still getting a crop off, off of it, of alfalfa. Really? Yes. A little thin this year because of the lack of rain, but yeah. every other year it's been amazing. So great alfalfa. Huh. Yep. Okay, so for the organic crops, what kind mm -hmm. of crops was he growing? He uh, mostly uh, soybeans and the grain crops, so wheat, uh, some oats. And most of it would go over to Japan. Yeah. So that's you know, a lot of his contracts. And uh, they, uh, we had a gigantic grain leg. My, my grandfather put that in in 1969. He was the first in our area to have one. Oh. So it was kind of a big deal. Uh, so they, you know, for years there would, you know, that my dad was a, a smaller farmer, but being organic made uh, what he was doing profitable. And it was okay to be small still. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, 
all year round we would have semi trucks coming from all over and they would come and take the, the grain out and Okay, so how did apples come about on the farm? Okay, uh, well, it was at 2011. Uh, I was really needing to be out of my job. I'm, I'm a, a trained chef, so I, I was a pastry chef for several years, and I just needed to quit. I needed to get out of that and do something different. And so my mom and I were just kind of talking and, um, you know, of course I've always grown up with being outside and working outside and just enjoying nature. And the idea came about to put in an orchard. Her and I had the idea. She's always herself wanted to have more than just a couple apple trees out here too. So um, she was very interested in it. There was a ad in the Cass County Reporter for an orchard grant. Um, the Department of Agriculture was trying to encourage communities to put in orchards. And we thought, well, you know, it's going to be private, but back then the original idea was we're going to put these apple trees in and we're going to do a you-pick orchard. Mm -hmm. So we thought, well, let's apply for this grant and just see what happens. We didn't get it. <laughs> we didn't get it. Uh, but, All that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we still went forward. You know, and uh, my grandparents, uh, Norman and, and Louise Nelson, at that point they were still living in, in the big white house. And uh, they were also, you know, the farm was, was closed up. There was no, there was, you know, no farming activity going on here. So for farming to continue was kind of an important thing for both my dad and my grandfather. Uh, my dad, you know, he's a... You know, he was a, vet, uh, a veteran, um, Vietnam vet. Um, his body was kind of shot. Mm -hmm. He just couldn't do it anymore. So for him, he felt, and he had said this to a few people, that the farm died on his watch. Mm. So it was mm -hmm. sad. It was sad, yeah. Uh, of course, you know, he never let me know that. Uh, so the idea of one of, you know, the Nelsons coming and continuing the farming was, was important. Yeah. And so there was a lot of backing from my grandparents and my parents, most definitely. Mm. And uh, in 2012, we planted our first apple trees. Uh, my mom picked out all of the varieties, and you know I was still working as a chef at that point, so I, you know, she she did most of the original planning. Um, and then it, it worked out where I was able to come and do it full time. So I was able to leave my, my chefing job and work at the farm here full-time in the orchard. Uh, so that first year in 2012, I, my husband, my parents, uh, Chuck and Bobby, and our son Ben took two weeks to plant 150 trees. And it was a drought year in 2012. It was a drought year. Oh, okay. And at that point, we didn't have any irrigation. And so I watered every single tree, 150 trees, with a garden hose. Really? Wow. Yes. A lot of garden hose. <laughs> a lot, yeah, exactly. A lot of garden hose. Yes. Uh, so, and it, 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 it went well. It was a, a good experience. We worked really hard. Mm -hmm. uh, it took forever, uh, but we accomplished it, and it was, you know, it was a good feeling. Um, then in that winter, 
we started getting to talking about it and we're like, well, let's get bigger because we're gonna need more apples because we, we've always planted semi-dwarf trees. And of course, you know, you're not gonna get the yield off of a semi-dwarf tree that you would off of a standard. So we kind of thought we needed more trees. Well, we put in 900 in 2013. <laughs> Did you get rid of the garden hose, or were you still with the garden hose the in garden a thousand hose, trees? We still have the garden hose, because you know you shouldn't throw anything away, but we, we did put in drip irrigation in 2013. Okay. But uh, in the spring of 2013, because you know the trees, uh, we, we get them in May, first part of May, depending on the weather. Uh, but so in April, my dad and I were out in the alfalfa, and you know, very precise, you know, he was very precise with anything that he did we measured like the, the trees are planted uh, the rows are 20 feet apart the trees at that point were 15 feet apart so he measured with a tape measure 900 spots so we had a sea of little flags because we marked where every tree was going to go it was quite a sight to see mm. uh, so then we put in 900 that spring and then in 2014 uh, we didn't plant apple trees we put in a hedgerow and we, we also put in the big fence in 2012 and 2013. So the, the orchard is uh, 11 acres and it's all fenced in. And we have uh, a hedgerow planted around it. It's not coming up too great because the alfalfa mm. wanted to grow more than the other things. So, yeah. um, But you can see some wild rose bushes out there and uh, some buffalo berry bushes. There's some of that. So. Uh, and then in 2015, that's when the cider came about, the hard cider. We um, originally, like I said, we were going to do the, the U-Pick apple orchard, and we just decided not to do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a feasibility study done, and we had them look at making hard cider. And they determined that it was going to be a, a profitable bus business to be in, so we... Um, started looking at cider cider varieties mm -hmm. and so that year how many did we put in that year I don't remember. well by 2018 we had close to 2,000 trees in the ground wow. and we do have over 40 varieties not all of them are producing at this point because they're still small mm -hmm. uh, but yeah that's it's a lot of fun. We've been, um, our, our 2012 trees, our first ones, are more or less mature. And uh, we're harvesting off of those. We're harvesting off of the 2013 trees. So, yeah. So how long have you had your cider tasting room open? 2018. Okay. What does it take to go from the apples growing on the tree to something that people can come in and drink and enjoy? Is it so? Rusty and I have a bit of experience with wineries, mm -hmm. and so we know a little bit about that process. Is it similar when you're doing cider? Yeah, it's uh, very similar to the winemaking process. And as far as like the the birth of uh, the cidery, a um, little bit different experience for me because yes, we did this feasibility study and we were wondering what we can do that would be profitable. But the idea of doing a cidery, to me, was um, overwhelming. I'd you know, I'd had some experience with home brewing. You know, I, I do I do like to make beer, and we've made you know a couple batches of cider, but didn't really have a lot of experience making cider. Plus, my knowledge of cider was more of uh, some of the real mainstream popular ciders, which I'm really not that into. It, they don't do much for me, and uh, so I wasn't 
terribly excited in the beginning about making cider and about going into this whole endeavor. But we started doing some research on it and started looking into it more, seeing what can be done with cider, seeing all the different um, kinds you can make, all the all the experimentation you can do with the different varieties, uh, just making dry ciders or wild ferment ciders. Um, something you're not really going to find in any of the bars, but um, they're very good, and that's what I've really gotten into. And so, that kind of helped me make that transition into yeah, let's do a cidery. Let's you know, let's take that route. And so the process uh, to go from the apple on the tree to what some of you can enjoy um, is very similar to wine. I mean, you'll pick the apples. I guess with the grapes, you won't you won't grind the grapes. You'll just throw the grapes right into a press. Whereas the apples, you can't throw them right into the press. They have to be into a grinder first. You know, made into like a mush almost. And then we'll take those buckets of uh, of apple pulp and dump those into a press. Uh, for us, it's a bladder press, and there's several different kinds of presses out there. Um, everybody's kind of got their, you know, what they like to use. For us, we like using the bladder press, which is basically a a huge cylinder and the apple pulp goes into that cylinder the very center of it's a bladder that expands pushing the apple pulp to the edges of the cylinder pressing the juice out so that's what we'll do we'll grind the apples we'll dump the apples into the press and press the juice out and then the juice goes gets pumped into a tank and we got some big tanks in there but we usually just pump them into our smaller tanks and then that's how we'll kind of ferment them out is in our smaller uh, poly tanks mm. And so once they're in the tanks, we'll, we'll treat the juice, kind of killing anything that might be in there, the bacteria, any wild yeast, anything like that. And then we'll introduce our yeast and let the fermentation go. And give or take a month later, we'll rack that juice into another container so it can age and develop and build character and just kind of, you know, um, mellow out a little bit. Um, sometimes a malolactic fermentation will, will take place and that'll kind of take some of the acid out a little bit too. So that will let that happen. And then uh, anywhere from two or three months in the beginning to, you know, upwards of a year or even longer, we'll start making the different batches of cider. So once it's fermented, I mean, if you want to talk about going into the glass, you know, once it's fermented and it's aged, and it's stored we have all our stored juice and so then one day i decide i'm going to make this batch i'll blend the different juices um to you know for the batch that i want trying to keep the abv right around 6.9 percent and then we'll back sweeten it to the level of sweetness we like um, using either cane sugar and now we've kind of started experimenting with honey too mm. back sweetening with honey yeah. and uh so we'll sweeten the cider um, maybe add whatever we're going to do to it. If I fermented out rhubarb or fermented out cherry, mix that in with it, something like that. You know, whatever kind of batch we're making, we'll make it. And then it gets filtered twice and then get put into a, a what's called a bright tank. And in that bright tank, it gets pressurized. It's like a jacketed tank. And so then it gets chilled too. And once you're at that point, you can carbonate it. So we inject CO2. And then once it's carbonated, then I'll keg it and bottle it. So and then it's ready to drink. Have you ever had any whoopsies like, oh my gosh, this this one tastes bad? <laughs> no, only all the time. <laughs> yeah, especially in the very beginning, um, you know, mistakes were made. Uh, spider cider was spilt, and uh, you know, filtering was a total nightmare for us in the very beginning. So much cider we lost. You know, just learning. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, even when I knew how to make the cider and I knew how to do it and we've done all our research and read the books and did some trainings and um, just learned how to make cider, the idea of doing it on a large scale is way different. And that's a whole nother learning experience, which is mostly trial and error. Okay. So, yeah, we make those mistakes and then we learn from it and we try not to do it again kind of thing. Um, I, I've lost I've lost some cider because I, I've let it uh, um, let oxygen get to it, something like that. And then it starts to turn to vinegar and I've had to dump gallons and gallons of it. And, you know, I try not to do those mistakes very often. But, yeah, we definitely have the, the whoopsies and the what am I going to do with this? And then there's also, before you say anything, there's also, <laughs> there's also sometimes we make a batch and we're like, oh, this didn't turn out. This isn't good. Let's wait and see what happens. And we'll let it sit a month or a couple of weeks. And then it's like, this is really kind of mellowing out and really turning out nice. And I'm really starting to appreciate this. And you just got to be patient sometimes. You know, sometimes it just takes that time to really develop. And I've almost dumped a couple of hundred gallons a few times and like no 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 i don't hold off gonna hold off and and then it just really kind of just mellowed into something that was very drinkable and very good and everybody really enjoyed and i'm like i'm so thankful i didn't dump that <laughs> a month ago and i was really worried about it but that's the funny thing about cider sometimes is that you know sometimes you just give it time and it really just you know turns into something amazing mm. uh Another thing too is is that just because we don't like it, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be somebody who does like it. So you know, both of us tend to not like the sweeter ciders, but those do seem to be one of our most popular or, or the ones that are the sweeter. So um, you know, and it's just there, there's there's generally always somebody who will like what we make. There's you know, even though it might not be for us, and like we've got uh, one of our a real popular ciders. It's called the Air Mule. We have it in the bright tank right now. It's it's our take on a Moscow Mule cocktail. Oh. So we take our fermented juice and we're adding ginger and uh, uh, lime to it. And let's see, this is the third time we've made it. Mm -hmm. And uh, this this time around, we right away we're like, boy, this has got way too much ginger. We really messed up. You know, this isn't going to be good. Oh no, mm -hmm. <laughs> this this is a disaster. And through the whole process with the filtering and just the the mellowing, it is just it's. I think probably the best time. It's 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 the, it's just my favorite so far out of all the batches, and we've had uh, some customers taste it and they agree. So it's just we've learned to not be quick with our throwing out. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. How long, roughly on average, how long does it take to go from apple to drinkable? I get that question almost every time I talk about the cider making process and it's such a hard one to answer because I can probably make a batch from apple to what you're drinking. I could probably do it in two to three months, okay. but I can also do it in a year and a half. Mm. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of anything in between there. Mm -hmm. Depending upon what I'm making, it'll be anything in between there. When you talk about learning from kind of trial and error on your own, whoops, trial and error on your own, um, is there a community? Have you learned from anybody, any, any mentors out there? I mean, yeah, uh, you've got to have somebody to ask questions of once in a while. Well, yeah, in 2015, we went and um, we kind of took a road trip through Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan 
camping at different sites and just kind of stopping by cideries along the way and saying, hey, can I talk to you about making cider? <laughs> and they're busy and they look and you're like, oh, all right. Get some weird, <laughs> you know, weird looks. <laughs> get the weird looks, but they're also really good people. And, and they stop and they take the time to tell us how they do things and, and you know, let us taste some of their cider and, and then just give us, you know, give us some knowledge and experience and I got like my list of questions so what do I do when this happens you know and and they're like oh well you got to do this I'm like oh that makes sense and you know and I'll ask each one of these cideries these different questions and you get different answers a lot of the time because that's different answers yeah and then also then once I start of course you know I'm so green at that point when I'm making these questions and trying to figure out this cider making process I'm thinking back to it now how little I really knew and then even thinking, okay, I'm ready to start making cider now. And then how much more I learned once I was practicing. But it was, they were a lot of help. I mean, it was also a point to see. I think the first thing we did, and I don't even remember the year, was Vermont. We went to Woodchuck. And Woodchuck is a huge cidery in Vermont. And like 100,000 gallon tanks, 100,000 gallon jacketed pressurized tanks. I mean, millions of dollars worth of equipment. And we're walking through this place like, oh, my God, there's no way we're doing this. this we're, we're out. That, this isn't going to happen. But then we went to all these small cideries, you know, around this area or whatever. And it was like, okay, we can do this. We can we can manage this. This is, you know, not everybody has to be as big as Woodchuck, you know. So it, it was, you know, very humbling to go to Woodchuck. But at the same time, it, was, it made it more realistic once we saw how a lot of these small places do it. And everybody just kind of makes it work their own way. Yeah. So it's like the same thing here. There's a lot of things that we had to do just to make it work our way. And that's kind of how a lot of people do it. Um, the bottler that I have, it's a, a counter pressure bottle, bottle filler. Um, there was a guy in Oregon, uh, he's got a cider house and he built this and then he put it on the internet so that uh, other people could, you know, uh, learn to build it and, and use it as well. Cause I mean, these, these counter pressure bottle fillers are, you know, eight, nine, ten grand if you want to buy you know, a, an all put together one, mm -hmm. but then building this one, you know, it works pretty good. I mean, it's, you know, it's four heads, so I can do four bottles at a time and, it, and it's not perfect by any means, but, you know, an example of just making it work and trying to, you know, just figure out how to, you know, how to get by. Yep. Um, a lot of, everybody's kind of doing it and you just try and gather as much knowledge from everyone as you can. And then there was also cider cons. Um, we've gone to that a few different years. There are a lot of different classes on cider making, on marketing, on you know all different aspects of you know uh, the cider process. Plus, you get to try all these different ciders from all across the U.S. And so we learned a lot of those too. And I also went to New York for a week to learn some of the more intricate details of cider making, a lot of the kind of chemical aspect to it. And so, and that was kind of after I've already been operating for a couple of years, which is good because it would have been a little overwhelming in the beginning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. But to learn through some more of those um, details was also quite helpful. Yeah. Okay. So you've got the unique story of the family farm. You've got just starting off in the cider business putting your fingerprint on it, so to speak, for what you're making and what you're bringing to the consuming public. Where do you want to go the next hundred years for the family farm? And with this kind of... <laughs> well, um, you know, we, we do have a son, uh, Ben, and he's uh, very interested in the business. Um, he just, though, is now off doing his first career. So he's learned, you know, do that for a little while. Uh, but uh, we've got young people that are involved in this project. Uh, 
I, my, my biggest hope is, is that more young people will come and, and take it over and continue Cottonwood Cider House. Uh, you know, they don't necessarily have to be Nelsons, but they, they just to keep what we have Created. started, yeah, mm -hmm. going. Uh, you know, just to, to see what they do with it next. And so that, that's my biggest hope. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'd like to, you know, soon go to a managing aspect and just say, hey, you guys do this now and I'll sit back and watch. Go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Do more yeah. camping. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. How do you distribute your cider? I, you have the tasting room here. People can come in and buy it. Do you sell online as well or are you in stores? Uh, we do sell online. You know, you can go to our website and, and it uh, gets delivered to your door by UPS and it's pretty fast. Um, you can you know, get it through there. Uh, we sell our bottles uh, through the tap room here and then also at the Red River Market in Fargo. Uh, we're a member of uh, Pride of Dakota, so we'll, we'll take our, our, our bottles there. This is, uh, we're going on our second year now. So last year was our first year and that's an amazing program. Good. They do so much to help uh, local producers, people who yeah. make things in North Dakota. So great, great program. Uh, so we do that and we also go to other events um, here in the state. Uh, we don't have a license to sell anywhere else except here in North Dakota. That might be the next phase for the, the next generation here or maybe sometime down the road for us. Uh, we do not at this point sell our bottles in any liquor stores. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we've so far have kind of kept it that way for a reason. Um, we just we they do have uh, our product sometimes for sale by growlers, mm -hmm. oh, sure. and we do get a lot of calls for people who are looking to find our bottles. Um, you know, you can find our, our cider all over the state of North Dakota. Okay. Uh, Bismarck, they really enjoy Cottonwood Cider House out there. Uh, we're we're on tap out in Medora. Right. Yeah. So pretty much everywhere. Yeah. So what about, so you said you don't have a license to sell in other states. Can people from other states order from your website and you can ship it? Yes, okay. we can ship to every state except Hawaii and Alaska. Okay. Sabrina also works for a travel magazine. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that's becoming more popular, I guess, at wineries is to have like boondocker RVs come and visit the winery. You guys got plenty of room to park an RV out here. Is that in the card someday? Uh, we, we are doing that. Uh, we're, we're a member of a program called Harvest Host, mm -hmm. and uh, this is our first year. We just started in June. And uh, we from the very beginning that we opened up out here, uh, a lot of people would say, you should join Harvest House. Mm -hmm. And I always said, no, because <laughs> we live out here. And yeah. it was just, I, it just was weird. Yeah. I thought it was weird. And, um, you know, this year I, I just, I, I was able to actually talk to the people who run Harvest Host. And I had a good conversation with the woman and she just, she sold me. Mm. You know, the, the thought of, well, if it doesn't work for you, you can, you can end the program at any time. There's no, like, you know, you're not locked into anything. And it has been so positive. And, you know, I think what I enjoy the most out of it is we're meeting people from yeah. all over the state or all over the country. And, you know, everyone has a story yeah. and they're so interesting and it's, it's, it's just been a good Mm -hmm. our, our dog took a little a while to get used to it. We've got a big golden called Greg, and uh, he just was like, wait a minute here, there's there's something new. But he's now, he just wags it. Yeah, yeah, he's he's okay with it. Yeah. But we, um, we limit it to two RVs, mm -hmm. and we do that because we just want to keep the quiet. Yeah. We think that's what people like. So too many more than that. Yeah. 
might not be quiet anymore. Yeah, too mo- more than that, it turns into a party. And exactly. That's not what you're here yeah. for. Well, some sometimes we are here to party. We, you know, we, yeah. it is the product. Last uh, night was the party. Was yeah, party. last night was the party. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we, we do, we, both he and I like to go to bed early. So mm. for us to stay up past 10 is, is a bit of a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, farmers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think my last question would be, since you have this platform right now with the microphones on, what would be what you would hope people would know about you guys, your cider, your farm? Oh, wow. I've I never had that question it's before. It's a big That's question. A good question. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like the 30-second elevator speech, I guess. Yeah, Is that? Yeah. yeah. You know, this, this whole journey that we've been on, you know, I... I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I don't know, maybe I was just completely dumb, but I've just really leapt in. And it's just, it's just, it is what it is, and I'm gonna do this. I've committed to this idea, and it's gonna happen. And we try, we try so hard, and our heart is in everything that we do. And so, we might not be successful at everything, but we're just, we're trying. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're husband and wife, and we're having fun doing this pretty much a lot of the times, right? We work really hard. <laughs> we're exhausted, but I wouldn't do it any... I, I just... This is wonderful. I am so blessed. The the people that I get to meet, the just it just warms my heart. You know, we, you know, I don't even like to call the people that come in the door customers because they become friends and family. Like, I kid you not. And just... We've collected such of a, a just a good group around us, and they they support us and spread the word, and you know, yeah, yeah, honey. Um, I agree with all that, and I I just think, you know, to know about our um, our story or our situation, it's like we just we just operate, you know, we just work every day and just see what happens. And when we started, it was, well, maybe we should have a couple tables and a couple of taps in case anybody wants to come out here. (laughs) And then that turned into, we need a lot more tables to, we need a tap room to, we need to even order more tables. And so it's like, we're just doing what we're doing and then seeing where it goes. It's like, we don't even have this ultimate plan except that we want to make you know, every batch of cider that we make, we make sure it's, you know, going to be amazing. We make sure it's going to be something somebody wants. And we make sure we make enough of a variety that we're always going to have something somebody wants and not going to be just, we're only doing this kind or we're only going to do this kind. We're, we're open. You know, we, we, we keep our minds open with the business, with our cider, with the food, and and then just see what happens from there. And it's just turned into a crazy experience. And it's, you know, next year, it's, I'm sure it's going to be way different, and we have no idea how. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and so that's what's, that's, I guess, part of what we enjoy about it. That was such a fun conversation that we had with them. And we talked quite a bit after, too, that we didn't get on tape, and they let us walk through the orchards, and they talked to us about the apples, and then we walked through where they actually make the cider. And it was really fascinating. Yeah, in fact, they invited us back out uh, for one of their pressing events Mm -hmm. where uh, we'd get to see the entire process in action. So that sounds like a lot of fun. So what is something, maybe when the mics weren't on and we were just chatting, what is something that you learned that you didn't know? Well, Stacy said that the founding fathers of the nation had large orchards and uh, uh, beautiful orchards uh, along the East Coast, but 
they had to be destroyed during prohibition and mm. uh, just a, a loss. But that's when um, I guess there is a transition, a taste of America from the traditional ciders that our founding fathers were familiar with to the more pleasing, appetizing, tasty kind of ciders that we have today. Mm-hmm. Something I learned was when Dan was showing us where they actually make the ciders, and he was talking about how they how they carbonate the mm-hmm. cider, and I thought that was really fascinating. Now, you know that I've toured several wineries, maybe more than I should admit, but, uh, you know, winery obvi- obviously not carbonated. So that process was really interesting. Yeah, and Dan uh, kind of summed it up by saying uh, when you're making cider, it's it's a lot like making wine, but it's also like, making beer because Mm -hmm. you're adding that carbonation in the process so really fascinating it was fascinating great people i love talking with them they were so fun and i love that they have the tasting room that they open and people can come in and try out the ciders we got we sampled some which is why doing the intro to this was a little bit tricky (laughs) because i've got a case of the giggles but we 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 sampled some of the ciders and they were delicious now i have to say I have had like a mass market cider in the past that was in a can that we bought at the grocery store or wherever, and I honestly didn't care for it. But the ciders that we tasted today, they were delicious. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. And I think uh, like Dan and Stacy told us, they really put everything that they have into it to make something that's really good and mm-hmm. is, is going to be pleasing to people and is going to make wanna uh, make wa- people want to come back. Yeah, absolutely. I know that we'll be going back. Yep, absolutely. All right. So if you want to see some pictures from our visit, head to our website, which is agontap.com. And I will put some pictures up there. You can see some of the things that we got to see. And make sure you come back because we do plan on visiting them once again and perhaps doing a video of them making some cider. We'll see you next time on the road. Thanks for listening to Ag on Tap. (music) 